Well, I want to invite you uh, to open up your Bible if you have one. If not, there's some at the end of your pews, uh, your chairs. Grab it and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you have one of our Bibles, the, the page is 991. We are in our second week. If you need a Bible, uh, Deacon John will be able to give you one. Just flag them down. We are in our second week of a 20-some week series through the, the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, last week, we, we came up with just the first two verses. A pastor can preach on, uh, on two verses and he can go for 45 minutes very easy. It's the spiritual gift to gab. And this was the first theme as we, we looked at 1 Timothy. And this was uh, Paul's greeting to the church in Ephesus to Timothy, his spiritual son in Christ. So let me just kind of read it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And we saw that God has saved us and conscripted us or enlisted us into service so that we might bring forth true children in the faith. God has saved us for a purpose to put us into service. He has saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ to serve. And ultimately for service to not just to make a nicer, healthier world, but to bring about true children in the faith. That is ultimately the goal of being saved. A faithful life is saying, look, Paul said, look, Timothy, he's my true child in the faith. And that's our call. This morning, we're going to read uh, verses 3 to 11. Follow along with me. As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that I may charge, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons have, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are making confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. So God has saved us. And conscripted us into service. To see true children in the faith. To bring about faith. 
This morning, we're going to take it one step further, and we're going to be talking about the law. Now, when you first hear about the law, some of you might squirm. And I'll, I'll just give you an, ex- an experience that I had uh, last week. Last week, uh, we, we have what's called Route 30, Lincoln Highway. And uh, I am in the habit of going down Lincoln Highway at a good clip. Uh, just because it's habit. This is what you do, right? You, you go back and forth. And uh, I thought I was well within my, my rights of driving. And um, <laughs> As I was driving, I noticed a police officer pulled behind me. I'm going, I am, I am well within the speed limit. What happened? Lights are on. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. I, I'm going 45. What are you pulling me over for? License, registration, what's going on? Law. So I pulled over. Sir, do you know why I'm pulling you over? I was going, I'm guessing, about 45. Was I speeding? Oh, Yes. You were going 46 and a 30, sir. My ignorance was that the the speed limit changed because of a new building, the Walmart. I was ignorant. I was in a habit. I was moving. And what did she issue me? She issued me this time grace. She gave me a little thing that says, as a courtesy the new Linux Police Department is offering you a warning for speeding. Sometimes, though, the first thing that happens when you start thinking about law is there's something inside of you that goes off. It's like, what is going on? You know, who are you to tell me that uh, you can do this or you can't do that? You know, maybe you immediately think of a person who has abused his or her role and rank in an institution or your workplace. And you think, oh, don't you impose that on me. Who are you? You're abusing your role, your rank, your whatever. And you think law. You push back. Maybe it's a parent or a spouse who has just, you know, okay, God's word says that husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husband. Submit to your husband's. And you're hearing your husband or your wife isn't loving you. So what do you do? You press down. And there's all kinds of... So there's these reactions, these internal reactions of, oh no, don't you be saying that I can or cannot do this. So our reaction is often one of skepticism or just downright ignoring that very word law. But the reality is if we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed, all of it, from Genesis through Revelation, all of it, not just love your neighbor and this kind of lovey-dovey, soft, gushy stuff, but all of it is God-breathed and therefore useful for teaching and instructing and admonishing and correcting and re-guiding. All of it is useful. Then we have got to understand what is the purpose of God's law. Because the Apostle Paul does not shy away from talking about these topics. And one of the things that I have realized as a pastor is that often one of the most missing ingredients, one of the most things that has been absent in our gospel presentations of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is this area of the law. Because the law has been laid down in the Old Testament for a purpose. 
And Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what does that mean for, for us in, in 2011? As we look at the law, what, what is the purpose of it? Because people who are not convicted of sin in their life and do not realize their, their own utter inability to meet God's standard by their own efforts are not desperate. They are not desperate for the things that God offers through the gospel. If we don't realize our own depravity, our own brokenness, our own sin in our lives, we don't become desperate for the things of God. We don't desire God's design. And when we're not desperate for God's designs, we're like casual shoppers. Our closets are full and, oh, I'll take a little bit. Ah, I don't really need that. I've got all the stuff over. Oh, I don't need that. But a desperate shopper, a desperate shopper is a person who, who is like on their last bottle of oxygen. I need to have this. I need to have a casual one. It's like, yeah. And that kind of translates into our Christian life as well. Casualness about God's holiness and His desire for us to be holy. There's no casualness about holiness in all of our lives. So not, by not preaching God's holy law, we are missing something. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul wrote to Timothy about some false teachers that were in the church at Ephesus who wanted to be teachers of the law, but didn't understand its proper use. They, they were abusing something. And Paul wants to show this. He wants to show that the proper use of God's law is to bring about conviction of sin so that people are driven to the gospel for salvation. People are so convicted of the sin in their lives that they are, they are driven to Jesus. Because they see that they are totally unable to do this on their own. There is addiction. There is problems in marriage. There, there are the hidden sins that nobody wants to talk about, right? But they are so convicted of that sin that they are driven to who? Jesus for salvation. Because on their own, they are hopeless. And driven into deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper despair. When sinful men and women learn the righteous demands of God's law, they should be driven to despair because of their guilt before God. They look at the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. No other God? I love my job. I love the security that it brings. I love my wife, my husband, my children, and I adore them to the point I almost worship them. You shall have no other God before you. Honor your father and your mother. Chew on that for a little bit. Even from sinful generation to generation, you are to, as Christians, called to honor your father and your mother. Do not commit adultery. And that's not just about going to a hotel, a four-hour nap, and committing adultery. This is talking about 
lustfully with your eyes and in your mind looking and wanting. That's what Jesus says in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, listen, you've heard it said before, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look lustfully, you have committed adultery. We can keep on going through, through each one of the Ten Commandments, the law that is put out there. And we find that every one of us, starting from the pastor who was preaching to the message to the last person who walked in the door. Who are you, by the way? Anybody want to admit? The chapels, probably. Oh, Octavia. Yeah. It was Heisinger time. What do you say? From the first to the last, everybody in between, all of us, have fallen short this week of God's righteous law. And does, does that so work in you that you are just saying, man, I am totally inadequate. I am driven to Jesus because I need more of Him. I need more of the good news that He has died for me and He is still redeeming me and changing me and making me into a new man, making me into a new woman so that before God's eyes, I am beautiful. So on that last day, He says, well done. Good and faithful servant. Well done. You have followed closely with Jesus. This process called sanctification, being made holy, is a lifelong process. Lifelong process, isn't it? You hear and see Christians daily. You look at the news and you go, ah, that Pastor, that Christian, they've fallen from grace. But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. The law convicts. The gospel saves. The gospel restores and heals. There's not one of us in here that is perfect. And if you do believe that you are perfect, let me show you something from Matthew. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And these are the religious folks of the day. Okay? And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. And then he goes on, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you you are full of Hypocrisy and lawlessness. <laughs> that's me. And that's probably you because we put on this really nice outside, pretty, everything's okay. I've got my stuff together. You know, you know who you are. That's you. This is all of us. We all live these lives of hypocrisy. You know, we say one thing, we do another thing, or, you know, we put on our good Sunday prettiness. You know, we're all, some of you are dressed better today than you dress the rest of the week. Some of us are a little bit more clean shaven, Elder Bennett, today than probably tomorrow. 
I don't know who I'm talking about, but uh, I'm the same way, though. You know, I haven't been shaving all week, and Sunday, Sunday morning comes around, it's like, i got to have high and tight, you know, look good. But isn't that what we do with our Christian lives? Isn't it? We, we, we live these beautiful exterior, everything looks good, but inside we are rotten and hurting. And God's law, for the purpose of His law, it is not to condemn and break us down. It is saying, look, in light of my holiness, you are broken. And you can do everything that you want to try to do to make yourself holy and make, present yourself before me to be good and perfect. But you know what? It's impossible. Let me show you the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And as a pastor, I have to rely on that every day. As a fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you, you need to rely on that every day. God says, be holy, for I am holy. It's impossible to do it on your own. So whatever your closet sin is, your hidden sin is, God is saying, be holy. Confess it. Before God, to your brothers and sisters. And you know what? The family, Roseland Christian Ministries, Roseland Christian Reformed Church, I hope you are a safe community for you to say, you know what? I, this week I, I, I dropped it again. And I need to confess it before you. Not so that you can absolve me of my sins, but so that you can walk alongside me and to be my brother and sister in Christ. And I hope, Missy O'Day Church, that we are growing in that as well, that we can just say, you know what, this week I, I, I struggled with pornography. I struggled with drinking. I struggled with pride. I struggled with... You, you fill in your own blank, whatever that is. And, and I, I'm confessing it before you, not so that you can forgive me of my sins, but so that you can be my brother and sister in Christ and encourage me. Even this this week, we had a consistory meeting. Our elders and deacons met together. And we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we we were admonished. We were told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this, in verse 14, 5 verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Do you hear a word of condemnation in there? Not one. Because if you really know the law, you know that and you're living by the law, you're condemned. You live by the gospel, you are saved. So the proper use of God's law is to bring about conviction of sin. So that we're convicted of our unholiness, our unrighteousness. We are convicted so deeply that what it drives us to the only hope. The only hope, and that's Jesus Christ and the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. I could keep on going, but I'm not. So let me point out a couple things concerning the Gospel. The first is, the Gospel brings 
healing. The good news of Jesus Christ brings about healing. Emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, familial, your family. The good news of Jesus Christ restores and brings healing to brokenness. Whatever it may be. Now, it's not this kind of thing. I believe in Jesus. And it's all done. Right? You believe in that kind of a gospel and you're, you're bound for disappointment. The good news of Jesus Christ is that He is with us at the moment of your belief. You're placing faith in with placing your faith in Him and your entire journey as a disciple. Your entire road. And that is good news. He does not save you and leave you. He saves you and walks with you and heals you every step along the way. That is the good news of the Gospel. Secondly, the Gospel reveals the beauty and the power of God. We are saved in accordance to the glory of the blessed God. It is like, when, when we are saved, the Gospel is like, look at how big God is. How powerful He is. He is able to micromanage every life in this room and still say, I have more from where that came from. He doesn't pour all His energy over here and says, man, this is a big task. He can say, that's nothing. And it says, speak something about the power of God. But there's also something else in here. And you can see that at the end of uh, that, this section. Verse 11, it says, In accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. It's an issue of stewardship. You have been blessed with the good news of Jesus Christ. You've been entrusted with a treasure not to be hoarded in your pocket, locked up under key, and hidden from, from the rest of the world. You are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? That means when you go back to, to Roseland, wherever it is that you live and call home, wherever it is on the south side in the greater Lincoln Way area that you live, you've been entrusted with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this gospel brings about spiritual healing. And the good news about this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is bigger than you. And this good news needs to be shared. Every conversation that you have, wherever you are at, it is to be seasoned with the good news of Jesus Christ. Saying, you know what? On your own, you are broken and you are destitute. And you know what? Honestly, you are under the wrath of God. Because no unholiness needs to be before Him. None. And you, honestly, you are destined for hell. That is the bad news. But let me tell you the good news. Jesus Christ. And Him crucified. And He took your place. Will you put your faith in Him? There is no hope for you to get out of addiction on your own. Sure, maybe there's an AA program, a little bit of 
this many steps and that many steps. You take this class and maybe temporarily. But you know what? That does not heal the soul. You need Jesus Christ. Your marriage is falling apart. You know what you need? Yeah, maybe you can go see a great counselor. Maybe they can fix some things up. But honestly, that does not heal your soul. You need Jesus Christ. He has called us to be stewards of the good news. The question is, what do you do with it? When you, when you leave in a few minutes after we've eaten, what do you do with it? Have you sat in that and just said, you know what? I have relationships with all these people. I'm in a workplace with these people. I'm called to serve with these people. Even in retirement, right, Pastor Tony? You're called to serve and be entrusted with the gospel. There's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. We're called to be stewards our whole life. And what do we do as good stewards? We dispense the grace that has been given out. And that, for me, is good news. God doesn't just save us so that we can live happy and go to heaven. He's left us here to proclaim His message of reconciliation and hope to others. He has left us with the good news. He could have shouted it from the skies or used angels, but He didn't. He uses redeemed sinners that He now calls saints to take the message to lost sinners. Sharing the Gospel is like telling one beggar, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. God has entrusted every believer with the gospel to take to a lost world. Amen? As redeemed sinners. And as a kid that was raised in uh, the Christian Reformed Church, the Reformed faith, I was raised with uh, what's called the Heidelberg Catechism. Anybody familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism? Yeah? Good, Joe. I'm glad. And this is... You better be. (laughs) This is the first question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? How How about we read that together? What is your only comfort in life and death? That... And
But it doesn't stop there. Question two. What must you know to live and die in the comfort, in the joy of this comfort? What must you know? And it is this. Three things. So we come together as the body of Christ for worship. And we are reminded by hearing the law that we, we are miserable. That it is impossible to, to gain God's acceptance on our own. It is impossible because we are so broken. But secondly, we are reminded that we are set free. <laughs> we are set free. And that's all I get is a yes. We're set free. We're set free from all my sins and my misery. And thirdly, we are reminded of then how to thank God for such deliverance with our lives. And we are going to celebrate communion together, which is a picture of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We come to the table to, one, the body of Christ. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue coming together as one. Celebrating the work that is completed in Jesus Christ. We come together celebrating joyfully. Knowing that we were miserable, lost in our sins, and totally bound for hell. But we are set free because of the work on the cross. And then at the end of this service, you'll have the benediction where you are commissioned to go out. How, how to live in such a thankful way for this salvation. So we are going to celebrate communion together. And Missio Day, we celebrate by what's called means of intinction. And means of intinction is you'll come up to the cup first. Or, sorry, you come up to the bread first. How many years we've been doing this? <laughs> you take the bread and you will hear the server say, the body of Christ broken for you. You will take that piece of bread to the cup. Dip it in. And you'll hear them say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then you can say one of two things. Amen or Thanks be to God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, with His disciples, He took bread and He broke it saying, this, this is My body that is broken for you. For you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup of blessing and he poured it out saying, this is my blood in the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Of the work that was accomplished through my 
my living, my incarnation, my broken body. Through this, the cup, my blood poured out for you. Do this all in remembrance of me. We also receive offering. Rosalind, keep your offerings. Take them back home. Give them next Sunday. Monsieur Day Church, in response to the grace that has been given to you from Jesus Christ, we receive our offerings during this time. Those who are serving, please come forward. When you are ready, after you sat before the law, as you remembered the gospel, when your heart is ready, come, for all things are ready.